Welcome to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review this show. Reminder, streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined once again on a Tuesday by Blake Murphy, producer. Blake Murphy. First off, Blake, welcome back. Um, I mean, you haven't gone anywhere. You've been very busy at work here. Um, But obviously, you know, basketball has been pushed to the back burner. That's the Raptors' fault. That's not, uh, that's that's nothing to do with me. That is the Toronto Raptors, not, uh, look, even this past weekend. um, So for anyone who doesn't know, I've been doing, obviously, fan drive time five to seven, but I've been doing some Jay's color commentary on the radio as well. Mm -hmm. We got the whole Yankees series this coming weekend, which is, uh, awesome. And then obviously in this city doing a drive time show, pretty heavy hockey focus right now too. Yeah, of course. I haven't missed an NBA playoff game yet though. We're, oh, we're okay. It's only been three days. We're, it's only been three days, but we're Wait. okay. I was like double barreling last night with Oilers Kings in overtime and Kings Warriors. <laughs> this guy got Kings on both screens. Yeah. Wow. Kings everywhere, man. Wow. Uh, and Assad still beats me on, on the river and I got all these Kings. That's a deep uh, cut. That's uh, a super deep cut. No, man. I haven't really missed out on anything ba- at basketball. Yeah. And had the Raptors um, done something, been a, had a better year, gotten out of the play-in, mm-hmm. something like that, it would have been business as usual. But yeah, had to sacrifice a few of uh, these Blake Murphy Tuesdays for, for Jays and other things. Well, I mean, first of all, congratulations. Um, on you know your it was it was it your play by play debut I don't even know I mean your yeah color, was, color well unless you count like you sports back when I was at UBC right. a decade ago doing men's basketball and women's hockey wow. and rugby and all sorts of stuff just to get reps in and make that you know minimum wage student money but Listen, yeah minimum wage goes a long way when you're when you're a yes. student uh, after being a student it does not go anywhere but no uh, that uh, that Jay's Angel series was my first time doing it like legitimately. Um, color analyst next to Ben Wagner. It was... Uh, how was it? I was going to say, how was it? It was awesome, man. It was... Uh, yeah. it, it's it's interesting to think about how different doing it for, say, basketball would be. And most of my experience at UBC was doing men's basketball solo. Oh, wow. Which is... Okay. Uh, it's a lot, but at least there's the pace of everything, right? There's always something to be talking about. Baseball, historically, especially on the radio, is a little more like... You can let the silences go. You can have a conversation and stuff. But the new pitch tempo, and I have nothing to compare it to because I never did one before, mm. but, like, having that little pitch clock up on the screen and knowing, oh, if I start a sentence right now, I only have four seconds to get this <laughs> sentence in. Right, um, right, right. It was pretty It was pretty fun. Well, it was. It was very fun, and it was a, an awesome experience. I'm glad I get to do some more of them throughout the season. Um, but, yeah, trying to, like, in my head be like, huh, I wonder what this would be like. Like, I wonder what this is like for Eric Smith and Paul Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, you have a shot clock at least, but there's, like, something happening every 20 yeah. seconds instead of, like, once or twice an inning that, like, absolutely requires stop what you're talking about and, and describe what's going on. Got you. No, that's – I mean, it, it sounds like a, a fun challenge, but, I mean, I've always known you to, to meet any of those when you get put in them. And, um, you know, honestly – you know, the, with respect to this program, you did say, um, I think probably a week or maybe a two weeks out of the play-in, you were like, look, if the Raptors get to the first round, I'll be available for the show. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's my finale, which was uh, a good <laughs> prediction, all things considered. So, um, yeah, we will actually talk about Raptors basketball. And um, me and Alex have had this running bit where I, I don't want to talk about the CBA. 
Um, but you we're know. ready, buddy. Oh, you're ready, man. I'm seeing this. How many colors already? you need in this spreadsheet? I, by the way, I did it. So yesterday on Fan Drive Time was sure. our first time being simulcast, like you are all the time. Right, right. Um, and you know how I do the regular bit where I'll just like turn my screen. Well, I was sitting in that seat, and mm. I turned it. I couldn't find the camera. It was just like an awkward silence of me trying to show a, a graph to the yeah. You'll get used to it. Yeah, it's not it's not the Raptor show quality just yet. We'll get oh, there. Well, you know this this takes daily experience. Um, no, but I mean, I, I think we will talk about the CBA. We'll talk about the Raptors, but I, I definitely uh, want to continue our coverage on just the NBA playoffs in general. First off, kudos to you for being able to watch all of these playoff games in addition to all the other stuff that's going on. Um, I mean, I, 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 it was a lot of basketball, but it's been really, really great. Uh, I thought last night was sort of an extension of that. We'll start with the more like newsworthy one, which is uh, the Kings going up 2-0 in their series against the Golden State Warriors. Um, you know, low scoring affair, which is not what you would typically expect from these two teams. And I'm I'm saying low scoring, even though it was one fourteen to one oh six, because both games, both teams last game uh, had over one twenty. But yeah, this was um, this game kind of had everything really. It was so <laughs> sloppy to start the game. Sacramento couldn't hit any threes at all, and the Warriors would just turn the ball over. I think they had like twelve turnovers in the first sixteen minutes, uh, which I feel like is something the Raptors would never ever do. Um, because they don't pass that much, but um, yeah, I, I'll start here. How worried are you for the Warriors? The fact that they're down two zero for the first time since, well, Steph Curry in this whole era. Yeah, they've never been down two zero in a series before, and um, I mean that speaks a lot to their ability to bounce back. But also the fact that they've never really been. I mean, count the number of times they've been an underdog in a series on one or two fingers, right? Like they're, right. they're the, you, when you're the champions, you're the champions until you're not the champions. Mm -hmm. And yeah, short of the the Raptors and the one Cavs year, they've been the favorite all the way to the end. So um, it's interesting to see them backs against the wall like this. It's going to be especially interesting if they don't have Draymond Green available for game three. Um, there is concern for sure not in the like not in anything like they could absolutely win four of these next five games and win the series I wouldn't be incredibly surprised but the being down to nothing to me isn't really about the oh they haven't faced the adversity of being down to nothing I think it highlights that they're not as good as the older versions of the Warriors mm -hmm. and um, there is a lot of you know, if you dig into the numbers this season, if you even look at some of the the way these first two games have gone, if Steph is not on the floor, yeah, they got they have nothing. And I I love Clay, and obviously Wiggins is you know still working his way back, but but it's great to see him back on the court. And, and there are some depth guys that I really like on this team. But offensively, if they don't have Steph Curry's creation and his gravity, like we're at a point now where even. Wiggins and Clay combined to go seven of 18 on threes and Gary Payton, the second chipping in with threes, which he doesn't yeah, do yeah, yeah. like that's still not enough offensively on a night that Steph doesn't have it from three. So um, I, I just think that the, the floor is much lower than it has been in the past where in the past on a rough Steph night or a rough clay night or whatever, everything else was so solid defensively mm. and offensively. But Draymond is at this point, teetering like constantly teetering on the edge of what is too much and we saw that last night but I, right. I think that also undercuts that or underlines that you know Draymond is probably the biggest guy in this playoffs when it comes to oh flip the switch like this is what we dealt with with the Cavs for years as as yeah, Raptors sure. coverage right is like 
all the regular season stuff, all the tape can say one thing, but you have this kind of reserve level of respect of, okay, he could turn it on. They can turn it on when they need to. Right. And I don't think we've seen that from Draymond yet. And he's in his thirties now and he might miss this next game. And yeah, I know there are some people who have him on their all defense ballot and, and like very smart basketball people. I don't have a vote, but I don't think he would have cracked my all defense ballot on the se- for the season. And that inability to reach back and get to that level at either end of the floor and that inability to, you know, it's, it's the Draymond line right now. Eventually it's going to be the Dylan Brooks line game. One of the leaf series tonight. It's Michael. It's the Michael bunting line of you can be a pest up to this point, mm-hmm, And mm-hmm. it's really good because it takes the other team off their game and your team can kind of rally behind it in a, Oh, he's annoying for another team, but I love playing with him way. But the second you go a quarter of an inch, the other side of that line, you're a net negative for your team. And that doesn't happen with Draymond very often, but I thought that was the case last night, even before the stomp, um, it's uh, it's something that, you know, so far Dylan Brooks has done a better job. And it's funny to see yeah. the highlight going around of like uh, someone brought up that there was a play last year in the playoffs where Dylan Brooks got basically like put in the figure four and he just went like this to the ref and like walked it off. Mm-hmm. And like if Dylan Brooks yeah. can walk away from that moment and not throw a fit and stomp on someone like what are you doing Draymond? And there are a lot of what are you doing Draymond's for that moment. But anyway, yeah, all of this is to say that um, Steph, I think, can throw it back at, at any time he needs to, and he's still that guy at that level. Clay is at least as a secondary scorer at that level. But right now, with Wiggins still working some of the rust off, with Draymond Green not finding that switch yet, and some of these bench guys just not looking good. Like, DiVincenzo and Poole have been bad. Oh, my goodness. No one frustrates me more than Jordan Poole. Like, he's not even on the Raptors, and I'm mad at him. Yeah, and I I get it. <laughs> you like, would get so many angry react pods, Jordan Poole. The Warriors have this weird thing where, like, none of their role players can play at all on the road. Yep. And then at home, they're all ridiculous. So maybe they win the next two, and those guys have big games. But right now, it looks pretty dicey. And I think as much as anything about the Warriors, if there was any, like, residual king's disrespect from mm-hmm. basketball fans or whatever, wondering if this if this offense first and offense second team could get it done in the playoffs. Pretty, I don't know. Their defense good, was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good opening arguments here from them. Yeah. I mean, first off, let's just get to the Draymond topic. Um, you, you talk about, like, you know, staying short of that line. I mean, he firmly stomped his way over that yeah. line. Like, um, should we? I know we can't show video highlight. So, what, if, what if Derek comes in here and we just, like, reenact it? Uh, I'm good, man. Derek's, Derek's got like a bunch of kids. They're relying yeah. on it. Uh, it's just not, like it went full like Stone Cold Steve Austin, hands on the ropes in the turnbuckle, just stomping away at him. It was, uh, it, man. Look, I, I will say, watching uh, from the Warriors' perspective, like, there, I, I don't know what caused Sabonis to fall down in the first place. Um, and I, I don't I don't think it was just purely he was grabbing his face in protection. Um so I do think he did grab Draymond's ankle. However, that is not a way to respond to being grabbed by the ankle. No, like and, and Draymond clearly flew off the handle. If like, he it, grabbed it, his ankle to grab his ankle, if he grabbed his ankle because he thought there was a scrum for the loose ball and that was a little bit of an advantage. If he grabbed his ankle purely because there's a foot near my head and I want to whatever the explanation, you cannot respond by stomping and then i think he made it way worse for himself in terms of like league punishment and stuff of spending that entire review time Mm -hmm. like cutting a promo like like acting like he's the baddest man in the world and it was not that big a deal that he just stomped someone in the chest yeah that was that was honestly psychotic from draymond i mean like again like i understand right like I, i actually see it from the perspective of um sabonis shouldn't have pulled him 
in the first place, but that is no way to respond. I also think it's just kind of dangerous, to be honest, in this day and age to be, like, going back and forth with the crowd like that. Because, mm-hmm. like, it really just takes one incident, and you're really screaming at, like, tens of thousands of people in, yeah. in that kind of moment. Like, I, I obviously, there are security measures put into place, but, like, realistically, there's, like, what, 50 security members in the building entirely? And they're all worried about uh, E40, so they can't even focus on Right, uh, of course. So, like, you know... There's that aspect. I, I just think that it just all comes across as really unhinged. Not to mention the fact that, like, it was a close game in the fourth quarter once again. You need Draymond out there, even though he's, you know, being like this. And now there's a real risk that he gets suspended. In fact, it'd be kind of disappointing if he doesn't get suspended. Here's the other thing. All that crowd stuff is, like, if this game were in Oakland or I, I guess in San Francisco now, um, I get it, right? Like at least then you're making sure the crowd stays loud. You're behind late in the game and maybe there's a, a recognition that you might be about to get tossed and you're trying to make sure the crowd can, you know, pick up your guys the rest of the way. When you're doing that on the road, yeah, that like that crowd was already ludicrously good for the first yes. one and yeah. 1.9 uh, games, mm-hmm. right? To give them that extra juice and then the like, cherry on top for that crowd of you got tossed you did all that talking during that break and melting yeah. off with the crowd and you lost that battle yeah you're out of here like that not that that crowd needed it anymore but you you handed it to him and draymond to me is like like he understands this stuff so well i'm i'm pretty surprised stomp aside that he like played into if Draymond were on the Sacramento Kings, that's exactly what he would have been trying to get the other team to do in front of his home crowd. Yep, and he yep. played right into it. No, it, it, it was it was uh, it was just it's got to be very disappointing from the Warriors' perspective because I, I feel like there's clearly so many good things that Draymond does, um, and he's obviously a very very integral core piece of their four titles. But at the same time, like you just cannot fly off the handle. As you mentioned, there's a very clear line, and he just continues to step over it. Stomp over it. Um, by the way, Draymond last night missed out narrowly with a five by five. He just came one rebound, one rebound. short um, because he had four rebounds, five assists, uh, five turnovers, five personal fouls, and eight points. So, like, like the Warriors don't even have depth really to replace him, right? So, again, I'm I'm anticipating he's going to get suspended. Adam Silver was in the crowd last night. I wonder what he was thinking during all it's, of this. He's like, I'm, I don't have to deal with this when I'm managing Mickey Mouse in my next job. <laughs> Um, it's it's interesting, too, that, like, uh, the way this series has played out, one of the things I think people were concerned about for the Kings was, okay, well, you start Sabonis, who that's fine because, obviously, he's incredible and you're starting him at the five. Mm-hmm. But you bring Alex Len off the bench and you bring Trey Lyles off the bench. Yeah. Like, though, that is a front court as a bench duo or with one of those guys next to Sabonis that you'd be like, oh, the Warriors are, like, custom-made to take advantage of. Like, sure, you don't sure. want Alex Len defending in space against high Steph pick and rolls. But when Draymond is not that effective and Looney, I love him. I know he's, like, an Iron Man to end all Iron Man. Like, we saw yeah, him come back man. with one shoulder in the NBA Yo, Kawhi finals. literally punctured his, yeah. his lung. Like, but, that, that's actually... Kawhi did more damage with his shoulder than Draymond did with his foot in terms yeah. of the damage to the ribs. Anyway. But you see last night, like, um, Looney and Green both in foul trouble, and they, they don't have a lot to turn to. They clearly don't have the trust level with Kaminga. Mm-hmm. I don't think Green has... I, well, they certainly don't seem to think Green has that at, at this time. And, you know, you're left with Gary Payton II, who probably the third best player last night, like playing yeah, kind of yeah, pseudo yeah. center. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The little big man. That's what they call him. Out yeah. There. I mean, that's that was the way the 905 used him on in a deep playoff run was uh, he's basically the power forward. He would, he would fit nicely here and yeah. he was literally right here. Um, 
Yeah, I think from the Kings perspective, just real quickly, um, Darren Fox just continues to be like one of the most clutch players in the fourth quarter. He has he he'll get announced clutch player of the year tonight, right? He has like to he, be. it's got to be him. He has I, to be. No disrespect to Demar, but no, I mean, no. Listen, eleven points in the fourth quarter yesterday from Darren Fox. He he scored a ton in the fourth quarter um, in game one as well. I mean, this is just what a bit what he's been doing all season. But I also think that just Mike Brown in general, like obviously he's already um, been announced as like the coaches. Coach of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting that coaches have their own coach of the year, and then the media has a coach of the year yeah. too. But he, he's going to win both. And really, he deserves two coach of the year awards because like, I can't believe what I'm seeing with my eyes. Alex Len was a Tampa Raptor cast off after like four games. This guy would, there was one game where he came in and he hit three threes out of the corner, and the Raptors beat the Knicks um, in Tampa. And then after that, he got into the starting lineup, and Nick would do this thing where he was starting for literally five minutes, and then he wouldn't play for the next 43 minutes of the yeah. game. And then he was cut right away to see that man come into this series and actually have productive minutes. And we're not talking about all the minutes in the world, but you tell me you can give me like eight to 10 solid playoff minutes. That's incredible. So shout out to Mike Brown. I, he's literally doing the impossible. There's no way Alex Len should be contributing and in a playoff setting. I thought his rotations have been really good as well. He's got, obviously got a couple different guards and a couple different combos that he can use, right? Where they, they bring um, off night and monk off the bench, but you can mix and match them with Murray and Fox to make sure you've got mm-hmm. a blend of offensive. I actually thought Davion Mitchell has done just an unbelievable oh, yeah, yeah. job defensively through two yep. games. And like, I know Steph's going to get his numbers, but like, oh, he's working though. He's working hard yeah, for those. Yeah, that's numbers. the hardest assignment in basketball. Still, is sure. chasing Steph around, right. and he's literally and, in the Delhi role. He's being coached yeah. by Delhi, who's on yeah. the roster too. Yeah, that's <laughs> the what was it, Alex? On the human bed bug? Yeah, Del- Del- Delhi's just in the corner there with with like a carafe of coffee, just ready to give him more and more energy at all times. Yeah, that's a Delhi. Um, yeah, and I mean, good Malik Monk minutes so far too. A guy like a former future Raptor, Malik Monk. A guy. How many times did you and Eric Kareem advocate for for Malik Monk to be added to the Raptors? A couple times, especially um, he was like my favorite target uh, for the Norm Powell trade before mm. Lamelo Ball got hurt that year. It was right. it had been rumored that the the Hornets were looking to trade like one of their younger guys, whether it was Monk or PJ Washington or whatever, for help now because they wanted to push and make the playoffs. But then LaMelo got hurt. Right. Uh, and that kind of went away. And then the Lakers got Malik Monk for nothing That's to right. like rehab his uh rehab his vow. Anyway, Malik Monk wasn't this guy yet. So mm-hmm. uh, who knows? Maybe it doesn't even work out that way anyway. Yeah. Um, but nice to see him and just yeah, the the job that they have done up and down the roster. Even last night, like Keegan Murray gave them next to nothing, but they still you know, productive minutes, their starters still hung, hung in okay. The fact that they're able to do this and win games against the Warriors of all teams yeah. as they're bringing along and developing young pieces who are going to be a part of that core rotation for a long time too. Like I know Kevin Herter hasn't had a very good couple games as a shooter, but that's a guy who's still only 24-2. Like this mm-hmm. is right. this is a foundation-laying playoff series. And I know that like in Toronto, for example, like 10 years into this era, making the first round and getting bounced doesn't really mean anything anymore. Sure. For this Sacramento Kings team, if they lost this series, that would still be so great developmentally to have the season that they had and to go through the series. And now they're probably going to win the series as well. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, the stats are already out there. That's like 92% of teams uh, up 2-0 end up winning the series. Um, going over to the other series, that's also at 2-0 right now. So the Sixers beat the Nets once again. Um, interesting first half. I thought the Nets really implemented a better strategy of doing a better job of racing up the floor and getting quick shots. And obviously Cam Johnson was really leading the way in terms of the scoring. It's just like him or Mikael Bridges just take turns being like, oh my God, he can really do all this scoring. Where was this in Phoenix? Um, 
but my worry was always that like okay they're gonna run out of steam because it takes a lot of energy to play this way and then eventually the Sixers aren't gonna you know not turn the ball over all the time or at least hit some open threes and beat I thought did a better job of handling the double teams and yeah eventually they just crushed them I, I just came away feeling like is this how we looked when we played the Sixers in games one and two I think a little bit because part of it part of why the Nets look so gas late in these games is first of all they've tightened the rotation down to eight yep um and that's with like like Joe Harris only nominally in the rotation even though I mean he's barely doing anything though I get that but they it was this is why you you have to look at single game plus minus with like a lot of context Joe Harris was plus 19 and 13 minutes last night. Makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, I was going to say, because he, he was doing nothing. <laughs> he did not play well. He <laughs> was just um, running around. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I, I do think the Nets might be well served to expand the rotation a little bit here. I, I'd like to see Utah get a little bit of a look. We know he Bro, can. this is exactly us through two games last last year. If we're talking about, we got to yeah. see Utah a little bit more. Yeah. I My mean, goodness. they shot 31% on a high volume of threes last night, and they don't have a lot of defenders that they trust right now. Sure. I yeah, think he sure. could maybe have a way. Like, I don't know if they dust off Cam Thomas and just try to get hot off the bench because, like, obviously yeah, in a game that's 96-84, Defending Joel Embiid is going to be your primary focus, but you can't score 84 points in a in a NBA game yeah. and expect to to do anything. So um, credit to them for like, and to Jacques Vaughn for having a fun, well executed defensive strategy to limit Joel Embiid as a as a scorer. But your guys are exhausted and you have nothing offensively. Like this, the Nets are kind of what I was saying about the Kings in that. Yeah, this is something they can build off and good experience. But sure. that's it. There is no chance they're winning this series. The the gap here is uh, a little too large. Yeah, no, and I think that, um, look, if the talent level might just be so large, the strategy doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to see them maybe take a different approach. I just think having obviously watched the Sixers very closely in the playoffs because of the, the, of the last year's playoff series with Toronto and also just watching them in general, like, I think they are really well-equipped to handle Joel and getting double-teamed. Mm-hmm. Like, it really allows the whole team to get going. Their passing is a lot better. Joel's passing has gotten a lot better. I thought his passing from game one and game two was much more accurate. Um, and yeah, overall, it's just like, they're going to destroy you. And then eventually when you get super tired and your, and your double teams aren't as like quick and snappy, Joel Embiid's just going to kill you at the end. Like I, I'm just seeing what happened to the Raptors last year happen to a different team now. And what you're seeing right now in this series too, especially last night is something that the Raptors got a taste of. And we were all kind of like, Ooh, if this is for real, this is, this is trouble in the Eastern conference in that. Part of the idea of taking Embiid away as a scorer is trying to bait James Harden into being a scorer that he's not all that comfortable being anymore. But now he doesn't have to be that because Tyrese Maxey is just like everything that we saw game to game glimpses of last year is Mm -hmm. just like who he is now. And I know as the playoffs progress and like against Boston, they're going to have defensive limitations with Tyrese Maxey that he's either got to lock into another level or they're going to have to manage around. But against a team like Brooklyn where again, unless you bring Cam Thomas in off the bench to try to trade buckets for buckets, like Tyrese Maxey can have his way in this series without having to do a ton, a ton defensively. So you, you kind of get to like, if you're Philly, you get to concede, okay, Embiid won't be a scorer and you don't have to make Harden that score. It's kind of, you know, playing into not their preferred strategy because I think they'd rather Embiid get 40, 20, and 10, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, they're very comfortable playing that way. And that's with, you know, PJ Tucker giving them next to nothing offensively and the bench really not doing, I mean, only what they had 15 points off the bench yesterday. It was almost all D'Anthony Melton and uh, a little G, bit League of M- G League MVP Paul Reed. Yeah. Well, quick, real quickly, what, what do you, what, what do you feel about the, the nickname B Ball Paul? What do you, do you feel like your nickname should be your job? 
Uh, in like, if it rhymes and if like you've self-described yourself as B-ball Paul for a long time, like I think it, in his case, like which with, Paul is that? Oh, oh, it's B-ball Paul. Got with you, his got you, specific player, role, got you. like he is a bench guy who like <laughs> it can't be your job. Man. No, I I like it. Like I I think no, it's man. it's better than like playoff P for a Paul George <laughs> or something either, like but... that. Like I I think just guys named Paul don't have a, a good nickname, I guess. But I don't know, man. I, I'm riding with the G League MVP. That's uh, He can be B-ball Paul all he wants. No, man. Shouts to Paul Reed, um, which is a perfectly fine name. Like I, Your name is so short. It's two syllables. You don't need a nickname at that point. You don't. This And this is like this a, this is an, an issue no syllable for in the name. NBA in general that people try to force nicknames. Like, I, I'll never get yeah, over yeah. people trying to come up with a nickname for a guy whose first name is OG. Right. Yeah. What do we do? He has the coolest first name you can have. Anyway, his his first name is like a nickname that other people get. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's yeah. It's uh, I don't know. B-ball yeah. Paul's all right. Shots of B-ball Paul. Though. Yeah. Brought some energy. Do you see he did the uh, he did the live rights to Ricky Sanchez event like heading into the playoffs too? Really? Yeah. So he's riding high off the the rights to Ricky. This is this all is right. just a good lesson for any Raptors heading into the playoffs next year. Right. You do a fan friendly live show right before the playoffs. You have hey, some man. big playoff moments. Well, just saying. <laughs> did Bobby have a good play in? Oh, he wasn't on the court. <laughs> Nick didn't give him a run. We know Bobby's Sorry, a Bobby. shooter. Thank you for doing the live show once again. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I mean. I just don't think this is the way to approach the Sixers. But listen, the Sixers, obviously, we're never going to have issues with in this series. I do wonder, though, how they're going to match up against Boston. Because, like, James Harden can't be as bad as he was last night and get away with it against Boston. Like, James Harden had the Russell Westbrook 3 and 19 games without any of the positives. Yeah. He was so it's bad tough. watching it, man. I was like, And, yeah, like, compare the jump in, like, backcourt defensive quality that you're going to go in from this sure, Nets. Yeah. And, again, love the effort level the Nets have. Dorian Finney-Smith. Mm-hmm. Good defender. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, these are all guys who give you a good effort and, and can defend. Royce O'Neal got pancaked a couple times yesterday. But, yeah. um, like, these are these are good defensive players. The jump in, like, point of attack defense going to this Celtics team that brings, like, two potential all-defense guys off the bench. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think life's going to be as easy for Tyrese Maxey, and I think it could be borderline hell for James Harden if he doesn't rediscover that ability to score in addition to pass. Yeah. And and unlike the other teams, I feel like the Celtics are better at mostly letting Joel play one-on-one, letting him tire out. And then shutting down the rest of the group. Because, mm-hmm. like, I know that he's slowed a little bit too, but, like, Horford's one of the guys you're comfortable with that, right? And sure, yeah. I know Robert Williams will be in the mix there as well, and you he's like him. a lot of Grant Williams as well. They're just keeping yeah. Grant Williams on the side right now. They're not even playing him against the Hawks. They're like, don't worry, man. Just take just, just be in the spa all day and get ready to go to battle against Joel. Man, but that uh, Hawks team does – this is – a tough thing with the play, like the playing games have been so fun year mm-hmm. over year, yeah. and it it changes the incentives late in the regular season that it's absolutely a worthwhile thing in my opinion. But the Hawks look so overmatched; it's like yeah, no, it's the, not the, even close. Even the like the I didn't think is the peak of your season. I didn't think the Nuggets like were exceptional in that Wolves game, and the Wolves didn't have a chance. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know, but I guess the the Lakers can hang in with the Grizzlies and and maybe the Heat can steal another injured game off the Bucks or something like that. But yeah, yeah we're we're still yet to see a play-in team go past six games when they actually get into the playoffs. Hmm. So uh, I do oh a lot of Leafs jerseys around the office. Uh, I do wonder if uh, I I don't think the league would go away from it. I think it's been too big a success. But yeah. but at some point we're gonna need one of these teams to win. Like we need the play-in version of the We Believe Warriors, right, to knock off the Mavs. Well, I mean, like this is what's supposed to happen in the West. I would say. Mm-hmm. I, I guess technically the Lakers could technically be this. Yeah. 
But yeah, anyway. Um, and, and they've got that favorable Lakers scheduling where, oh, the banged up old team gets two days off after the first playoff game. Wow. Oh. Adam Silver, how could you? Yeah. How could you? All Dis- right. Disney won't stand for this. You, you can't load manage Mickey Mouse like this. <laughs> no, Daffy's going to be upset. All right. We're is, take that, a break. is that Disney too? Is that, are we crossing? I don't even know, man. I don't watch that stuff. I didn't grow up here. Uh, I'm your host, Will <laughs> You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sports and Radio Network. When we come back, we'll talk actual Raptors basketball. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Malou. I continue to be joined by Blake Murphy. Um, I can't believe we didn't mention this, but Joel Embiid threw a random shot at Nick Nurse. You know, he was just talking about uh, something post-game, after winning game two, where he had another great game. And Embiid just said, quote, they kind of took the Nick Nurse route of begging for free throws in reference to Jacques Vaughn. Um, never seen Jacques Vaughn slander, but uh, I guess we got to use Nick Nurse's name to do it. What do you think? I mean, it's funny. It, I, I appreciate the grudge holding and the pettiness. Um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> like that, that is, that was the conversation this time last year, right? In the first round. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah it was. I, I, I to call you a wambulance. I mean, you know, what about sad boy, Joel? Yeah. Uh, that's going to be next round, I guess. We'll, 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 we'll save that for, this for is the, the thing series. is like, you can, you can trash talk back a little bit, but like, the Raptors' big W over him was like four years ago. Now it feels a little empty to be like, yeah, but but also he hasn't he hasn't gotten over the hump still. So that's fair. I don't know. That's I'm fair. I'm a little torn. I, I like it. Kind of feels like that's something you should get to say once you've like had a meaningful defeat mm. over the team that knocked you out and you know derailed your airplane or whatever. But also, I don't know. He just hasn't had that opportunity. I don't know. It's just whatever. No, it's it's. Just, I thought the Jaron Jackson comment was funnier. You know, I, maybe it's just like I mean, it's not maybe. It's definitely just because I'm an Embiid hater because he's he you know he's he's been frustrated to play against. But like there is this like certain darkness about him where it's just harder for like a casual fan to jump in and root for him. Like you know what I mean? Like Tyrese Maxey, obviously he's torched the Raptors, but I love that guy. You know what I mean? Like and when he's not playing the Raptors, I will root for him and I will root for him to succeed. Like. Um, I, I think Steph, a lot goes like, into I'm, it. I'm excited for Steph. Like, I think I'm a lot excited goes for Giannis. Like, like when, Embiid is the biggest player in the league, first of all, right? Like it, it's. But then so, he also drops, and then he compl- and then about the free throws. So like, right. you know, and Nick Nurse should talk about the next time, being like, "Hey, man, they took the Joel Embiid approach to floppy your free throws." Like, but you know, this is what I'm saying is like I, I think some of these things add up to make him not a natural baby face, right? It's like, well, you're the biggest guy in the fight, yeah. so you're not an underdog, and, and you have. You know, you're not new to the scene. You've been in this scene for seven, eight years. There's also some residual, I think, people dislike the 76ers because of the process era slash, you know, hinky on the on the PR side of the league 
image side wasn't the best. And then James Harden certainly isn't the the most liked guy in the league. Daryl Morey certainly isn't. Like, yeah. I, I think he's a little bit a victim of the circumstances that have surrounded him the last, I mean, his entire career, really, from the process to the Colangelo stuff to Harden and Doc and all this stuff. There is also, though, an element of, like, yeah, if you want all of it to end, you could just win. You're the, you're the best player in the world when you're on. Mm. So, I don't know. I, I understand your side of it. I still... Since the moment I saw him teary-eyed after that game in Toronto in mm. 2019, right? there is just like a small part of my brain that has set aside the scenario that Embiid eventually tires in Philadelphia and wants out and Toronto is where he lands. He, he mm. goes to the place that broke him in the first place and... So I, I, I can't, mean, that would be nice. I what can't can I go say? full slander no? because I'm leaving like a 1% chance that the, the Raptors rescue him at some point. Got you. Same 1% chance we have at uh, Wemby this the, the, this this summer. Um, I, I picked my percentages carefully, yeah. Yeah, okay, wow, pretty good. Um, another thing we, we forgot to mention out top, I, I think we're just going to do a running like uh, tally of this. Just an, another day goes by without the Masai Jiri sees anything press conference. The, the Raptors flamed out uh, a week ago now. Mm -hmm. It was Wednesday. It is Tuesday now, last, well, last Wednesday, so... Um, what do you think is the cause of the delay, Blake? Well, I can tell you what the cause of the delay is, and it's oh, okay. just they want more time to kind of sit back and evaluate things before they speak publicly. And, you know, Masai, even when he's done the immediate pressers in the past, has told us straight up on mic and off mic, I don't like doing these right away. I'm still emotional. You know, there has to be some time to let the rational win out. And I think that, hmm. um, you know, okay. I, I think that's uh, legitimately a part of it. I also think there is... Uh, level of awkwardness that we have to appreciate that you can go back to the year they moved off of Dwayne Casey for Nick Nurse, yep. where the media cycle for that was very convoluted and like they they basically spoke too soon and then had to run it back to do the we've let Dwayne go and then months later do a Nick Nurse intro press conference. I think if there's any amount of uncertainty still about Nick Nurse's future, mm -hmm. and I say that as we hear things like Ime Odoka, who had been tied to the Raptors, is now interviewing for the Rockets job tomorrow. Mm. Um, another, A number of other names have been thrown at that. I've con kind of thought throughout the Nick Nurse rumor process that even if the Rockets stuff was legitimate, it would make sense for someone in Nick Nurse's position to wait and see how the first round of the playoffs play out just in case. Uh, another I don't think interesting anyone should take job. that job until they see the lottery results. But you can't, I don't think the Rockets are going to want to wait until late May. And if you're the Rockets, do you really want to hire a coach who was only in it if you got Wemby? I mean, can't blame him, man. You can't. I would, I would be asking to do the same thing. But if I'm the Rockets at a certain point, like probably by the end of the first round, I'm pressing being like, look, we have to lay out an entire offseason plan for our young guys. We have to start yeah, building fair, a new fair. scheme and strategy. We have to eval start evaluating these draft prospects in case we don't get the number one or number two pick and start to make those decisions. You want to coach mm. in for all of that stuff. So if I'm the Rockets, I probably want to get that done around the time the first round of the playoff ends. And if I'm an Ime Udoka or Nick Nurse, um, yeah, I'm probably keeping an eye on if any jobs are going to open up at the end of this round. Mm. Then you get moving on things. So my read on the Raptors not doing anything yet is a combination of, yeah, the Nick Nurse thing looms and they probably understand that all the questions would be about Nick Nurse and there's not entirely clarity on that yet. I, I think that's right. probably the logical way to look at it all. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I, I'd like to imagine that uh, not too far from us here in, in the studio is Masai and Bobby on the phone with a sign and trade for a coach right now, which is essentially what might potentially happen. I mean, Sign and trade. I'm still hoping that I guess it would just be a trade in this case, but like yeah. you're hoping to I'm wrangle like hoping a second round pick or something. Anything, just say anything. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, just so a, like down well, the has, line, it has that... to be picks because you're not allowed to trade players for coaches. That's fine so, with me. I'm, uh, I'm happy to take a pick. You are allowed to get pick compensation. I, I do wonder if another team would call the Raptors bluff and be like, "He's got one year left on his deal, getting paid a lot of money. Do you really? Are you really going to quibble over a second round pick mm. and instead pay this guy, you know, eight, nine, ten million dollars to be a lame duck head coach and spend an entire season answering questions about it or paying him to go home. If I'm another team, I'm calling their bluff on it, but That's the Rockets fair. also have like a bajillion second round. That's what picks, I'm saying. So. Just toss this one. We could get this done already. Also, I know you want to talk CBA stuff. Second round picks, uh, going to like nudge back to having slightly more value okay. under one of the new CBA wrinkles. It kind of upsetting that the Raptors, uh, have none. Because now there is a salary right. cap exception where you'll be able to. Um, so prior, if you drafted a guy in the second round, you could only sign him to a two-year deal mm-hmm. um, or you could sign him to anything, but you needed a chunk of your mid-level exception to go past two years. Right, we saw that with Christian Coloco this summer. Exactly. Yeah, they, summer. they saved a chunk of their mid-level. They actually did an interesting thing with Christian Coloco where they gave him more than the minimum this year. And the reason that they were willing to do that is you get two very team-friendly years after. Um, so what the this new CBA wrinkle will allow you to go three and four years for your own second-round pick. So there will be a, like – in purely CBA terms, mm-hmm. there was no difference before between the number 60 pick and the top undrafted free agent if you knew you could sign that guy, right? Right. All that a second-round pick really did was give you dibs on that guy versus having to negotiate as an undrafted free agent. Now there will be a little bit more CBA value in keeping your own second-round picks, which I think is a good change because it's it helps teams, it helps players, it incentivizes player development, and I don't know if we'll see 55 second-round picks straight at the trade deadline again because they actually right. have a little bit more value than just uh currency do you think that might be part of the reason why we saw so many second round picks get moved uh that teams knew this was coming yeah or mm. had an inkling that this was coming no i think this is a i think this is a correction to that actually oh, like okay. I, I think what teams have shown us with the trades and throwing second round picks around a lot including the raptors is that like we know what the talent curve is like in the draft, right? And it starts way up here and then it very quickly goes like that. And around pick 20 or 25, like the marginal gain, like it's part of why the Raptors were so comfortable trading out of the first round into the second round and getting Coloco because in their eyes, Bobby Webster told us this before the draft, basically Mm -hmm. they don't see a huge difference between the type of player you get at 20 and the type of player you get at 35. I know that there are a couple of very interesting guys that go in that range this year. Some who will be on rookie of the year ballots. Walker Kessler. Yeah. But who's to say that the Raptors weren't just going to take Coloco in the twenties anyway. Like they Pascal was projected to go in the mid forties, mid to late forties. And they took him 27. Right. Um, Anyway, so I actually think this is a correction from the league side because teams have clearly said with their actions that even with the value we all place on the G League and player development, mm-hmm. it's not like if we can get something back for a second round pick, that's fine because we'll just sign guys undrafted. And we'll see guys like Fred Van Vliet or Terrence Davis or whoever basically negotiate their way out of the draft once it passes a certain point because like if all you're going to offer me is a two-way deal. That's fair. Yeah. So no, I think fair. this is a bit of a correction. Um, well, we're already on the subject already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alex kept teasing me throughout all of last week when some of the CBA details are starting to get leaked or even the week before that about we're going to have to talk about CBA on this program. I just wanted to talk about the basketball portion. But now that you're here. With and there's no basketball. There's no Toronto Raptors basketball. You're right. You're right. Because my other idea was just sort of helping me with my column. I'm going to finally write this like magnum opus 10 things on the it, season. It's already five pages on Google Docs. This is not going to get. What published. do we got for word count? Uh, Five pages means nothing. Let me see my my control shift C. 
Okay, right now it's not even that much. It's like it's like you know two thousand two hundred and sixteen. But oh. I'm only through like five things. So yeah, it'll, it'll end up like five thousand. Yeah, at the end of it, break it up into two parts. Whatever, get double content out of it. Yeah, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. Um, Can we do co bylines here? We should team up on some of this stuff. I'll just I'll do the to? cap. I'll, I'll do the little cap sentences at the end, and you can. Uh, All right. You can ten things it. No, um, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I will have, so obviously I have my annual free agency primer that yep. comes out. Um, last year, I think we timed it around the start of the conference finals. Full disclosure, where we're sitting right now with the CBA stuff, I know it's been announced. I know details leak out and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. It's not done. Okay, like, can the, you explain that portion? Yeah, yeah. okay. So basically, you know, to, to announce we have an agreement is like all the high-level stuff, and you know there won't be a work stoppage. And you have, technically, you have a year buffer because this – CBA doesn't expire until June 30th of, the, of okay. next year. Okay. But And what they're going through right now, this is what, what they'd call the term sheet phase where, um, you know, people on the agency side, the team side, even some media like um, Mike Vorkanov has had some stuff and Shams obviously gets a bunch of it. Um, they are getting, you know, some of the details as they come out and, and, you know, it almost feels like they're negotiating pocket at a time, right? So 3 a.m. in New York, the night that they announce, we got a CBA, mm. um, I would imagine that was, hey, here are the three biggest items we're still quibbling over, and they're the most important ones. Okay. Those are done. Let's go home and get some sleep. And then, like, two days from now, we'll all have breakfast and start getting down to the to the real details of, like, what happens with a two-way player and restricted free agency. That's not something that's holding up a CBA deal. That's the kind of stuff that they're still going through now. And that's why you're seeing things like the specifics around the 65-game minimum for awards mm. or um, the specifics around these new second-round pick rules and things like that. These things are trickling out because the term sheets are still being developed. Um, we're only nine weeks out from free agency so the time crunch that the league is going to run up against and i've heard some teams and um people on the agency side say that it's a uh, at this point it's probably still just a, a point of curiosity but as we get closer to that july 1st deadline you need time to prepare for these changes right yeah, and course. alter your offseason strategy what's not immediately clear is if some of these changes that we've heard are going to be effective july 1st 2023 or July 1st, 2024, or in the case of some of these two-tiered tax systems and penalizing you by dropping your draft pick if you are in the tax, you know, twice. If you're a repeater tax team, suddenly it affects your draft stock and stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff that it wouldn't really be fair to the Warriors to say, hey, July 1st, 2023, this stuff's in place because you yeah. have been building as if that's not a thing. So we're still trying to figure out and still waiting to hear the timing on some of these changes too. So that's kind of the biggest hurdle for me right now in, in doing my big salary cap primer is I don't think any of these big changes really affect things for the Raptors that much. Mm. Like how a, an unrestricted free agent like a Fred, Gary, or Jakob are treated is not going to materially change. Like both of those guys, are, all three of those guys are beyond the mid-level exception amount. Mm -hmm. So even though that's going up, it doesn't really affect them that much. Yeah, um, we'll see if sign and trade stuff changes at all. Um, that could affect obviously their, their market and their ability to leverage the Raptors or the Raptors willingness to play ball on those things. But I think big picture, what I wrote post deadline about re-signing those three guys and the, the flexibility the team has under the tax and how else they could add to the roster will remain the same. The takeaways from that piece will remain the same. It's just the specific numbers that might change a little bit. I, I don't think the Raptors are actually in this weird spot where, yes, all these changes are important mm -hmm. and will affect their long-term planning and stuff like that. But for this specific offseason, other than like maybe giving them a few extra creative paths to add to this roster, yeah. um, I, I don't know that... Uh, 
I don't know that it changes much for Fred, Jakob, and Gary, and obviously everything flows from those three decisions. Yeah. I mean, we, we covered the extension portion mm-hmm. with OG. Yeah. Um, like, that's a thing, but it's also he's not eligible till October 1st, so, right. like, we can take all the time in the world. I don't – nothing that we've seen reported so far affects discussions about Pascal's extension. That's still the same as mm-hmm. before. The only thing is, like, we know now – I think I can safely say he's not going to make all NBA – yeah, um, he's, he's if he sneaks onto third team, then it, it becomes a more complicated thing because he's eligible for a supermax. I don't think he I've is. I've seen the ballots. I mean, I've not seen. I've seen the ballots. I've seen the, the running Google docs. <laughs> yeah, I was thing. gonna say this guy hacked the league no, office. No, I did. I did not. I did not do that to uh, who? Who does it? Ernst and Young. That was Alex's previous job. Yeah, Ernst yeah. and Young does the ping pong balls. Oh, so who does this one? I don't know who does the awards vote. All it's. Right, I think well, it's just online. Like, if you're a media work. voting member, you get a link, and you just click all your things. And I thought there was more security that went into this. But Nah. Um, no, because most of the people, like, release their ballots publicly. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, based on those, like, yeah, Pascal's just not on a lot of those. Um, okay, I mean, so I, I, maybe I'll then pivot to this conversation about sort of, like, what some of the key decisions will be on some of the players this summer. Now, um, the, the five guys that are of relevance, I would say, especially in the summertime right now, are Fred... Yak and Gary, um, given that they're unrestricted free agents or can be as, as long as Fred and Gary turn down their player options. Um, and then OG and Pascal are extension eligible. That's like, f- at minimum, that's four core guys. You want to put Gary in there, that's five core guys. And even if you don't want to put Gary as a core guy, it's still a core asset, right? Because right. you traded Norman Powell for him and then you rolled that over with a pretty player-friendly deal mm-hmm. under mm-hmm. the idea that either he'll continue to get better and this will be a good deal or you can turn them into a different asset later. Like I, sure. I, I know we don't like talking about players as assets or lines on a balance sheet or whatever, but this is the time of year for it. Mm-hmm. And to have turned Norman Powell into a couple years of Gary Trent Jr. And then see him walk because you gave him a player option a year early. I don't know. It's yeah. yeah those are the big decisions. And then the smaller ones are, can you find a home for Otto Porter Jr.'s 6.3 million player option? Cause that loosens up some of these tight tax things you're dealing mm-hmm. with. Can we find his toe first? Like, First and foremost, can we yeah. find it? That's almost uh, a million per toe now. Now that he's got only nine. Um, yeah, in Canadian dollars, I think it actually is. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you have the option with that, and and you know, is precious not, also not an option with that? It's just one million guaranteed. Oh, guaranteed, yeah. yeah. So you got to guarantee it or not. Precious, I think, is also is he extension eligible based off his rookie scale? Yeah, uh, yes. Because he's after year three. Yeah, yeah him so. and Malachi both. If you want to talk Malachi, right. Station. Those are ones that you don't have to do. De- you don't have to worry about the precious. And I mean, if you worry about the Malachi one, you you got other problems. But uh, those are like those things get done in October, not in right. July. Generally, unless you're a max guy and a team's trying to lock you up. Fair. Um, okay, so I'm sure we're gonna have longer, more detailed discussions. But maybe even just for the sake of helping my column here, um, let's just quickly go through a minute each on these uh, five guys in terms of what you think will happen and what do you think the Raptors should do. What do you think the Raptors? Should- will do with Fred this summer. I think they'll keep him. Um, I okay. think, you know, he's probably going to be looking for about 30 million. I think the Raptors would love for that number to be in more like the 26, 27 range. Um, I think he rehabbed most of his value by the end of the year, but he's still kind of an up and down guy who's a little on the older end for, uh, you know, first get the bag unrestricted free agent. Um, you're giving him full term four years. I think you're, you're going to have to maybe, maybe you try to quibble and, and get like a partially guaranteed final year. But uh, that's going to be the market, right? Like, yeah, that's uh, you look at some of his contract comparables and stuff in in a very weak free agent class. Yeah. Someone's going to give him that. The big question with Fred, honestly, is is well, what are the new knows? rules around sign and trades? Because if if contending teams that are into the tax can no longer sign and trade for guys, yeah, that fair. takes away some of 
Fred's leverage going elsewhere. Fair. This is bad management on my part because I could have saved more time for this segment. Uh, Pascal, you sending him? Yeah, probably, but it's not high on my priority list. I, I need to figure out the other directional stuff. I, oh, of I think, course, of course. I think he's uh, extended trade is not really a, a very likely thing given the rules around the CBA, but I do think that locking him up, even if you plan to hit the eject button at some point, and this is my thinking with Fred as well, mm-hmm. is having that guy locked up, is a, it's an is easier scenario tradable? to deal him with than just losing him or, or trying to trade him with no leverage. Yeah, this one's pretty simple on my part. I'm going to, I would extend him, mm-hmm. uh, and then we can make the decision down the line, but it's going to have more value when he has multiple years on that deal. Uh, Jakob Pertl? Yeah, he's probably back. I, I think he probably, I, last I heard, he wants about 20 mil. I think the Raptors probably hope that that comes in around like 16, 17. Okay, close enough. Yeah, like he's a guy thing. that like, that's, that's like going to feel. Is that a four-year thing? Is that a three-year f- thing? Yeah, that, and that's where you quibble, right? And right, it's okay. like, that's, uh, it's going to feel like a little bit much initially because there are good centers out there who make less, but there are also a lot of bad centers out there or teams with no centers like the Raptors. Yeah. And you see the value. Like that's a, he'll be entirely tradable if need be on a deal like that. Right. He's in that Steven Adams, Jonas tier of salary. Fair. Um, Gary. I know you're not the biggest fan of Gary. Um, I just, and, and towards the end of the season, I, I, I see why. Yeah. I, I wouldn't phrase it that way. I just think that it's the fit that I find most awkward to if you're if you're worried about paying I mean, all of these said, guys. You either fit us or you don't. Yeah, so and his defense his defense like really went the wrong direction this no, year. They were I attacking thought. him like fully. Their strategy was intentionally attacking him in the play in. And that was the Philly series last year too, which exactly. is why I was like I had a little bit of trouble with Raptors fans mad that Gary Trent didn't get all defense votes. And you like, can't be mad at them. Everyone just wants to see some on on the Raptors hit threes, and Gary can yeah. absolutely hit threes. Look, so hit, and it's, you it's can a paper weird over spot all where the other gaps. His skill set is really needed on the Raptors, right? But the the fit when you start talking about a twenty million dollar guy, when there are guys out there who do similar things for for half the bag, right? It's yeah. there aren't a lot of them, but you can you can find them. I, I think maybe you try to find a, a Gary sign and trade scenario where you at least get back, you know, a, a lower end pick or something like that. Yeah, it's a it's a fifty fifty on my part. Um and then OG I, mean, I, I extend him. Okay. But I know other people want to trade him for the entire Canadian national team from the Pacers. So I mean, listen, I would see what the conversations are, uh, as always. But, I, again, I think this is similar to Pascal. You extend him, you get even more value. And I think he is still showing marginal growth, even though it, it, the ultimate product isn't fully there. But, anyway, we've run out of time. That does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Loon. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thanks once again to producer and co-host Alex Wong. Alex, man, change the rundown. My goodness, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is It's Blake Murphy Tuesday, man. Thanks to Blake Murphy, our board producer, Derek Brando, Jennifer Rolnick for helping with the YouTube stream. We will talk to you tomorrow.